Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. One film was released in theaters. <laughs> so, you're learning new languages there. You're the backwards man. I, I did learn to speak backwards back in, like, 2006, because we used to do it on the DS all the time. But I would just say, like, praise Satan and stuff. <laughs> that sounds like it's... All the important things. Yeah, you're supposed to say satanic messages backwards. That's the whole point, right? Yep. <laughs> um, what what was released in 2020, man? There was nothing in the movie theater. Sonic the Hedgehog! Yeah, we didn't, no, we didn't see that in the theater. <laughs> no. Did that make it to the Japanese theater at all? I think it. I think it came out at precisely the wrong time, and I don't think it really got a theatrical release here. And this one came out slightly too late as well. What is it? This one is Tenant. Not Tenant, as I or Tent. I liked. I like those posters. Or they make it Tent. <laughs> yeah, you were you were sending me nonstop stupid memes like Teen <laughs> ET and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Teen ET is a great idea. I want to see that movie. <laughs> but. <sighs> Yeah, it's it's the big Nolan film. Nolan refused for this one not to be shown in theaters, which uh, he's got clout. Um, what is it, Dennis? What, what's the Dune director guy? Denny Villeneuve? Yes, thank you, because I can't pronounce that name, because he was also hardcore, like, my new Dune must be seen in theaters, and Warner Brothers was very quick to tell him to piss off, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's still not out yet. That might make it to theaters, I guess. I will do here. I think, the, yeah, well, here. I think the idea is it goes to HBO Plus and theaters at the same time. Right. So, because... That's what's happening with King Kong. Oh. Uh, not here. we got to wait till May 14th. <laughs> oh. oh, well. Anyway, we haven't introduced ourselves yet. I'm Luke. I am Matt. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sanctuary. And uh, Matt's invited many of his old high school friends onto the podcast, so I thought I'd get in on the act. So, joining us in the sanctuary today is my good friend, Dom. Hello, Luke. <laughs> it has been, it has been many years. The last time I saw you, your middle name was still Danger. Yeah, I probably still had a full head of hair as well. <laughs> Why, why'd you get rid of the Danger? Keep the Danger. Don't lose the Danger. Um, well, because it was getting annoying putting it on official forms and stuff. <laughs> I, was, I, went, I went through a phase of very legitimately trying to deed pull that into my name. <laughs> that my name would have been Luke Jonathan Danger James Summers. There we go. I used to um I always used to put on forms like at stores and things like a uh, Yarholm Schluss. That was that was a fake name I would use. Oh, I used to use Dr. Eric Vill so it would come through Dr. Evil. Yeah, that's cool. 
What was it? There was a... Someone, when I first came to Japan, someone uh, apparently said they had the, the name Evil. Like, that was their last name. But I think they were lying to the Japanese about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it of all the things to lie about to the Japanese, that's, that's got to be it. That's your, that's your number one. It's so, better than lying about having a degree. <laughs> <laughs> you want to say it on there? Okay. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, uh, we're talking about this one. It's, it's now late July, I believe. When it came out? Or when this when, comes out? When this podcast comes out. It was late July 2020, right? <laughs> ah, I see. We're going backwards. We're going, <laughs> That's good. Well, That's I, good. That's the good stuff. I guess it makes sense, because, uh, we did our NOLA month then, right? So, this one is being made now, in 2021, and it will reverse in time and be posted in the past. We, tr- we tried to put together a Nolan month, but then Tenet was delayed. Our prestige guests kept messing us around. So we just did like an interstellar episode and a Batman Begins episode, and that was our Nolan month. <laughs> in Inception. We got three down. Tenet was going to oh, be yeah, the fourth. Oh, yeah, we did Inception in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Tenet was going to be the fourth, but uh, it, it, temporally it all works out, I guess. So <laughs> so I, I didn't see it till this week in the end. I actually did manage to catch it in theaters. Um here in Nagano, the theater only closed for like two weeks, and then it reopened and was showing classic film. So I managed to see like Shin Godzilla and stuff. And then yeah, as soon as this was like, oh my god, a new film in a theater! I've, I can't wait. So of course I went and saw it. Maybe opening day, at least opening week. Um, and yeah, I really dug it, and I watched it again last night. And I don't think I only liked it because it was in theaters. I think it is actually all right. <laughs> I, I, I saw it uh, when it first came out in the cinema in the UK because I'd been living in Moscow and never left the house. Then I flew back to the UK and I was like, I've, I've got to do something or I'm going to lose my mind. So I went to see Tenet and it was great. Then I saw it again over Christmas and again last week. So it was my third viewing and my opinion of it has progressively decreased okay. <laughs> as 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 I watched it. I still think it's good, but when I first saw it in, in the cinema, I thought this is this is amazing. And uh the other week I was I think uh, as the screens got smaller, my opinion of it uh perhaps went down a little bit as well. Yeah, for me the last movie I saw in the theater, I'm I can't say I'll trigger you. Yeah, yeah, I know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should actually say what it is. Okay. It's Rise of Skywalker. Yes, it is. But, uh, we'll, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> that, that's I, the first film that's getting a second podcast, I think, because <laughs> I was not harsh enough on it. <laughs> I thought you just wanted to slip that into Knives Out. <laughs> yeah, probably I will. Um, yeah, as for me, so that was my first viewing. Um, it, it's one... Maybe I need a second view. I think it's the problem I've said with... Well, we've talked about having with Nolan before. It's like... It's conceptually trippy, but not trippy in practice, which sometimes doesn't make me happy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, This has the big inception problem of having really cool ideas in its script, but as a visual director, it looks like the most boring Call of Duty game. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I'm not saying I, I hated the movie or anything at all, but... I, I kept thinking the whole time, oh, it's kind of like a watered-down Mission Impossible, plus some trippy stuff, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want an idea of, like, what Nolan prioritizes, 
this is a film with a protagonist called protagonist. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I thought watching this? As I watched it for the last week for the third time, I thought of you, Luke, because as I was watching it, I thought Nolan has now made an entire career off of the exposition scene from the first Terminator movie. You know when <laughs> Kyle Reese appears in the first Terminator movie and it's like, yeah. it, come with me if you want to live. Uh, Sarah Connor, here's what's going on. There's a robot from the future and it's a robot but it's covered in human skin and there's a war and it's blah, 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 blah. And it's the world's most, up to that point, most exciting exposition scene where you learn everything about the Terminator in like a five second clip, but it's very dramatic. And this movie is kind of a two-hour version of that, where it's what exposition can we give you and which beautiful Italian piece of countryside can we film it in? <laughs> and it's like, it's exposition, but he's on a yacht. It's exposition, but he's with Michael Caine. It's exposition, but he's now in Vietnam or something like that. Um, and it's just spectacular exposition is kind of what he does the best. And well, I Matt, guess this is the purest uh, form of Nolan's I want to make a Bond movie. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> been auditioning for Bond for the past, like, 15 years. But this one definitely, I mean, he still put, has to put that conceptual stuff that you wouldn't find in a Bond movie. But otherwise, he, like I said, he's getting pretty close. I said Mission Impossible, but, I mean, that that's basically the current Bond franchise anyway, for more or less. <laughs> anyway, Matt, do you want to deliver some exposition for our listeners? Oh, yes, exposition time.
how how often do you find somebody who appreciates push the button by the sugar babes in Japan? Never. I do that every time this happens, and you're the first person who's known what song I'm singing. See, I'm older. I'm thinking push the button by the Chemical Brothers. Ah, oh, also <laughs> right. a good song. Older. Yeah, but um, okay. With actors, I guess my first question is, why is Robert Patterson in this film exactly? Because he was auditioning <laughs> for Batman, I think. <laughs> I mean, like, except for the little twist thing with his time stream stuff, it's like he doesn't really need to be. I mean, he's not bad. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he doesn't. His character really doesn't need to be here that much, does it? Explain to me why. <laughs> well, I guess he, like, there needed to be another guy with the main character who actually knew what was going on, right? So I guess did they? This was something I thought about when looking at, at John David Washington's character, the protagonist, as he's <laughs> called. Is again, the movie is kind of set up as if Nolan has looked at the structure of delivering a joke and then turned it to exposition. So what happens is you in a joke you have like the setup, the punchline, and then the audience laughs. Right mm. within uh, within Tenant, it's. Um, Someone says exposition or it'll be like, do you know about A? Then John David Washington will say, I do know about A. And the person will say, well done, you're very well informed. And that happens so many times. I think Robert Patterson's character is there to ask uh, the protagonist a question that he can then answer and seem very clever as he does it. <laughs> um, and, then, and then to make like sexy little quips. And you're like, oh, you Robert Pattinson, you devil, you cheeky, you cheeky little boy. Yeah, the um, the and, first yeah. time we meet Neil, Robert Pattinson's character, he is very sassy and fun and he's mm. sat there with his cocktail. And I felt like, oh, OK, he's going to be this guy. He's going to be um, Tom Hardy in Inception. But then for most of the film, he's actually quite dry. He has moments. He does definitely is a fun character. But I felt like he was going to be way more of the comedy sidekick than he was. He can turn on the charm, but he can't keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> not that, he, I mean, well, yeah, not that he's supposed to anyway. Um, we should talk a little bit about the uh, real star of this movie, which is Washington's beard. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I made several notes about the beard. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about Nolan's women later, but he does cast handsome men. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> like, even Kenneth Branagh has kind of a hot dad thing. Oh, my, my notes aren't even, like, they're not even um, witty or anything. It's just like, god damn, that is a beard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are my notes on it. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Oh, I, then I called that beard a fucking sex object. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get some nice shirtless scenes as well. <laughs> so yeah I, I guess he's kind of got his male model thing going so may, maybe he'll eclipse daddy in that department we'll see I mean, Washington's good in this but he's given so little to work with like he well he's given the uh, Casino Royale you know Daniel Craig coming out of the water scene over and over again and like he just said. oh yeah like yeah he gets to look great <laughs> but like in terms of as an actor he gets like a real bare bones hero's journey mm -hmm. like He's just a protagonist. Yeah, we've literally, he's not even given a name. It's like, um, this is like one of those video games where you get to make your own character, so you basically have no character. Like, he's Commander Shepard in this. Yeah, yeah. 
But then also, much like a lot of Bioware games, there are a whole bunch of side characters on the team that also don't have any personality. Like uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember, Ives, I think. Ives, he's like the like mil- that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's like the, the leader of the, the military team. And he's just like a stoic army guy. And it's like, we cut, if our entire movie is made up of stoic agents and military people... Like, who is... Well, that, I guess that's why you have Robert Patterson. Well, he's he's the one with the eyebrows and the smirk, but otherwise he would yeah. be the same as all the other soldier guys. Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. literally okay. might as well I mean, just be, like, Soap McTavish. <laughs> that means that means the, the, the um, Transformers military crew had more personality. That's weird to think about. Uh, yeah, they, oh, I, no. like, uh, you, I mean, not all of them, but you can definitely remember, like, Epps and Lennox from the Transformers crew. This guy, you can only remember him because he's the only one who has a name. <laughs> and he shows up at like two thirds into the film mm-hmm. it reminds me actually of when you watch something like the G.I. Joe reboot or the X-Men movie where it's like and here's all the other characters from the comics but they're not they're just a bunch of dudes <laughs> <laughs> well they, those two franchises they stumbled over their, their own timelines a little bit right they needed a uh inverting turnstile to to work that out because it's like oh crap now we got to put psylocke in the 80s what (laughs) (laughs) psylocke didn't come until the 90s it's just that in those films three decades happen without any of the characters aging right (laughs) (laughs) well they just have such a weird mishmash at any time but anyway this this is a little more not more faceless i guess so there's not even a mishmash although i guess while we're on actors Kenneth Branagh is actually a fantastic villain in this. Oh, yeah. I think and anything we can say about Nolan not necessarily being good at heroes, he's real good at villains. Like, he gave us Bane yeah. and the Joker. <laughs> yeah, as I, as I was saying, when I, I first watched this movie, I'd just come back from Russia, where I had spent the last two years literally working with oligarchs. Right. And so I, I came back, like, literally people who had their own, like, private planes and stuff like that, and would go on yacht holidays to, to Italy and all. Like, I, I have some friends with some serious PTSD about being on yachts with Russian oligarchs, <laughs> and then people being beaten over the head with bars of gold like this base like that kind of stuff uh, almost happened to to friends of mine uh, so when i'm seeing that it's like oh my god this is too close to life and i like kenneth Branagh, he's the director of thor how is he so oh, he's like Gilderoy also, he's Lockhart. a strange shakespearean actor yeah <laughs> but also it's like you know i can't i can never square that in my head you yeah know, but he's... he can be so so terrifying yeah, he's just a great utterly actor. despicable in this like mm. He's he would yeah if if this is Nolan's audition for Bond then this is a great Bond villain because you mm. cannot wait for him to get some comeuppance <laughs> and then yeah and he the gets meantime, to die a real nice terrifying. death like a chump so <laughs> <laughs> I love a chump's death okay I, I feel like you're you're stalling you uh, with the women there right right so, are, are we going there <laughs> well I mean we've got I can only think of. Four female characters in this film. You've got scientist who's literally there to explain some science at the start. Mm-hmm. You've got, I think she was called like Simmons or something. There's a female soldier who does not like nothing. She just happens to have a name for some reason. 
a wheeler. She's like the leader of the blue team. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ives is the leader of the red team. That's right. It. So they're yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, she's, she's got a name. She's real. That's even. I don't, <laughs> now when you say it like that, that's even more video gamey than I realized. That's a Halo like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her job is to say no, Robert Patterson. Don't sacrifice yourself like that. That's basically yeah. her job. Don't be You're a too hero, handsome man. to die. <laughs> um, then you've got Priya, and like the the whole like. Oh, you thought it was the dude, but it was actually the woman. Maybe that was interesting 20 years ago. <laughs> like, I guess for Nolan it's impressive, but... <laughs> but yeah, that was a little bit cheap. And then we've got Cat, Who at least gets more than three minutes of screen time. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah, well... No one in this film has a dead wife, so that's good. That's a big difference. I was expecting her to die the whole time, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, she comes so really could... close, so yeah. I don't know. True. Maybe it still counts. Well, she I, is... guess, I guess they have to die before the start of the movie. <laughs> yeah. she is so they're not actually in it at all. Damsel in distress for most of this film. Mm-hmm. She gets to have, like, an active role in the fi- for the final part, kind of. But still just as, like, a carrot to be dangled in front of the villain. Well, you know, it's it's interesting the character gets her agency just in time to almost destroy the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, the one act she decides for herself is, you know what, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to throw him on the soap. And that's pretty much, that's her, her big choice that she gets to make at the end of the film. Yep. I like... Did they not explain the urgency of the situation to her enough? <laughs> also, she's chill. Like, she's written, like, her one character trait is mum. To the point that Robert Pattinson's like, and it will destroy the whole world. <gasps> Including my son! <laughs> he is somebody <laughs> yes, on the he world. Yes, he lives on Earth, right, so technically, yes. yes. <laughs> Correct. That is included with the world. <laughs> Redonkulous. I'm looking up. I'm looking up the actress because actually, I guess I do. Oh, she's in Guardians too, is she? Okay. Oh, yeah, I... she plays the the golden lady yeah, in yeah, Guardians yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I basically know her from this film because she's. Mm-hmm. I would have seen her in Great Gatsby. Oh, she was in Great Gatsby. Okay, the the DiCaprio one. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki. Sorry, not not quite on my radar. But while we're shouting out actor names, we should probably do that. Yeah, I didn't have a major problem with her. The whole film protagonist is like trying to save her or whatever. I there was no chemistry there. Like, <laughs> it, it he didn't feel like he was any more invested in saving her than saving everyone. It just seemed to be that he had a Batman I don't kill kind of a shtick. And I, if this was Nolan's like Bond audition, then it's highlighted the biggest problem with Nolan as a Bond director. Nolan is not sexy. Mm. Like, no one in this film seemed like they ever had sex. <laughs> no, but that's that problem carrying over from everybody being a stoic agent or soldier type character, True. right? Where where that same thing, like, Rob, if Robert Patterson did some flirting, then maybe we'd be in on it because he's got he's the person with charisma. But it's uh, there's that bit where where uh, I think Cat says uh, to the protagonist. Oh, Kenneth Branagh's going to think that 
we're, we're sleeping together. And I'm like, he just has to watch them for two seconds to know that they're not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, they're definitely not sleeping together. I, 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 that was, there was enough of the Bond template. I was actually expecting her to die halfway through as the first Bond girl. But uh, and she made it. Barely. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but I was expecting them to try and tell us they got together. Got together at the end. Mm. And yeah, it would, it would not really have been very believable. No, I thought we got kind of a time-inverted Casablanca ending. Mm. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Michael Caine's just one scene, is he? And Literally he's, called Sir he's, Michael. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, like, he can't, couldn't be bothered with a fake name that day, you know? But um, is he the only kind of stock member of uh, Nolan's crew that shows up here? Yeah, there's no Cillian Murphy, no Tom uh. Hardy. I wonder if that's kind of a, a bummer on this one. At this point, watching a Nolan film, you, see, you expect to see a few of those faces. It's kind of weird not to. Well, yeah, and also they... We're talking about a lack of, like, character. A lot of the time, Nolan relies on these old hands that he's worked with before to just inject the character for him. So... Yeah, maybe he just doesn't have that relationship with these actors. So he just assume he assumes that they're just going to come in and add charm for him, and they haven't done that. He probably went on a Thanksgiving dinner tirade or something and alienated them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, he insisted they all come around his house and watch Dunkirk on his big IMAX screen. I'm like, it's fine, I've got it downloaded on my iPhone, and he punched him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> He pressed the wrong button and it played his uh, two-hour compilation of his favorite pornography. <laughs> can you imagine but how... it looks good. I was going to say, though, can you imagine how boring Nolan's two-hour compilation of pornography is? Just oh, missionary. stoic missionary, <laughs> yeah. But the landscapes, the landscapes are gorgeous. So the real star of the film is the design, is it? What design? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, it is, it is kind of like a... I, 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 I probably meant to say the, uh, the con concept. Yeah, design is kind of like a um, upper-scale catalog. Yeah, well, that leads into one of my other big problems with the film. It does the same thing Dark Knight Rises did, where at the start of the film it touches on all these ideas of class warfare and that it's going to have something to say... And then it never does. There's the whole thing at the start where, like, the protagonist is coming in from the outside to this world of billionaires. And Michael Caine's like, oh, well, you're going to have to learn how to wear a, a nice suit. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm too cool for that. I'm just going to go in and kick ass. And they never, he just interacts with these people all the way through the film, but never calls out the fact that he's dealing with arms dealers and, like, aristocrats and stuff. Oh, so there's there's even that bit where he first meets Kat and they're at the the restaurant I think, and uh, uh, she says my husband just spent nine million dollars on our holiday. And he said, "Where did you go on holiday? The moon or like, yeah, Mars, Mars or something?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, "You know, you're wearing the watch, you're wearing the suit, but you know that you're clearly not of this world if you think that nine million dollars is too much money to spend on your holiday, right? Like he's constantly the outsider. Even when he goes to meet Michael Caine, the way that the um, uh, 
the waiter D, like the waiter. Yeah, the the Mitra D. The way he talks to him is kind of like, uh, oh, oh, oh no! It's it's very British, very proper. Who are you, this American man, coming into our place? But it it never goes anywhere. Is the problem? You want to see the end of the film where he like crashes their big event and brings them all down to earth and wins one for the little guy, but that never happens. No, the closest it gets is when at the end of the film, Kenneth Branagh is explaining why there's a war with the future, and he's like, the oceans rose, and you know, it's like, oh, so it's a climate change movie. Is it at the last second? Like, are you, yeah. you, you know, is this is this the Shyamalan twist at the end? It was all about climate change. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of strange to chuck the theme in. Well, the I of the film. guess bait and switch. I don't think it. Mm. If you think of it as the theme is, you know. What we what we do currently is we are trading our future for the present. Mm-hmm. They are trying to trade the past for the present, which you know, if you look at it that way, it is kind of an interesting theme. But you don't really get much time to think about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the movie rubbed me a little bit the wrong way near a start by curb stomping a cello. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess taking out the orchestra is not cool either, but. <laughs> but this is one of the things I didn't know until today I did some very extensive research on Wikipedia. Do you guys know about the, the Sator Square, where, where this idea of tenant comes from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I turned on I, my computer today, it was in my face, but yeah. Even when I, when yeah. you watch the film, you notice um, the bad guy's company is called Sator or Rotas, whichever one it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. The company's called, yeah, called, yeah, called Ratos. His name is Sator, Kenneth yeah, Branagh's yeah, yeah. character. And then all of the other ones turn up. So the, the, the Sator Square has the words Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, and Rotas in the square. Yeah, yeah. And then they're all essential. Well, kind of, it's a palindrome square in, in its own way. So Sator is Kenneth Branagh. Rotas is the company. Arepo is the art f- uh, forger. Oh, yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the opera is the Kiev opera thing, and Tenet is Tenet. And then this was the bit where I went, oh, Christopher Nolan, you you dog, is the first, the oldest Sator Square was found at Pompeii, which is where they are in Italy, where um, Kenneth Branagh says to his wife, I sent the daughter off, to, uh, sent the son off to go to Pompeii and Herculeum. No, and she's uh, like, yeah. I wanted to go to Pompeii. Because like that. Him and the wife 2,000 year old spoilers. Him and the wife are yeah. in Vietnam. <laughs> But he yes. sends the son off to Pompeii, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess he did get the whole plot. I'm just looking at it again, and yeah, yeah it looks like the whole plot's there. Okay, that's cool. I, I didn't pick up on it, though. I even saw that, like I said, I had the square on my computer when I went to bed last night. I was like, oh, what's that? It was probably too late. That was a problem. <laughs> yeah, I picked up little yeah. bits of it, but yeah, no, I didn't catch as much of it as Dom did. I literally, I thought I've got to find out something about this film and Wikipedia <laughs> gave me all the answers so I won't claim, uh, won't claim too much credit. But I thought that was like at least part of delivering on an interesting concept is this was what he was essentially inspired by and found ways to, to work it all in, even if it's just... Like the, the, the opera scene at the very beginning like is staged because the word opera is within the square. And right. like the, the opening of the film is pretty... Sp- pretty spectacular i think like it's a it's a memorable opening scene and then to relive later we've talked a lot of shit so far (laughs) but like the scenes and the action and the big sci-fi effect concept of this film is all really dope Mm. 
Mm. We should get gritty and real too. I, he he drove a airplane into a hangar. Oh that yeah, was pretty yeah. Tip. yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, and Nolan well, is great at doing real stunts with real vehicles and real actors and all of that stuff, and it always looks amazing. You know, he flipped one truck for uh, Dark Knight, was it? And here he's like flipping thirty or something. <laughs> <laughs> It is amazing the difference it makes to actually see it happen as well. Like, uh, the emotional investment, rather. That, like, uh, earlier on, I just finished watching The Mandalorian with my dad because he hadn't seen it before. I'm assuming you guys have seen The Mandalorian I actually before. haven't, yes, yeah, but I've, everything's been spoiled oh, no. online anyway, don't worry. <laughs> okay, do, do you know the end of the final episode yeah, yeah, before yeah. I, I jump in? Everybody knows sick. this. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yes. All right. Fine. Great. Well, the the problem with when Luke's namesake arrives, it could be any Luke within Star Wars. Arrives, um, the the de aging that they have done on Mark Hamill is just off enough for the emotional investment to be kind of disturbed a little bit. It's like I'm really into the scene, but yeah, why can't he smile? And it's because he literally can't. Like it's, it's you know the computer won't allow him to do it. Well, that was but, a different actor. I mean, the voice was Mark Hamill, but the yeah, actor right. was someone else. So yeah, they, yeah, they just put yeah, put try to put his face on top. But with um, uh, with Nolan, like his actors might not be that emotionally invested, but when you see the plane go in, it's like you can feel it, and like that's really spectacular these days. I think. Oh yeah, in Nolan's porn cut. You can definitely see the plane go in. <laughs> <laughs> right but uh yeah because there are a few times i was like oh action scene whatever you know because most movies these days the action scene's almost like when you zone out but with nolan at least it's like oh wait a minute this stuff's real and then you start paying more attention yeah i mean the choreography and stuff is cool it's not like jackie chan you can't get super into watching it but yeah every time there's a fight and everything you really feel like you're in the moment um, he's great at just like tense thriller style action mm. rather than like the modern Hollywood spectacle action. Now, I, I know you said we were going to go down the shit talking, but there is one point. Uh, one of our co-workers brought up the point. He felt like this is the point the the Lucas point where people stop telling Nolan no. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so- now, him not liking this one so much. <laughs> He, yeah, he his problem was that he said that there's like there's no pacing. It's just constantly at eleven. I'm going into it, watching it last night. I had that in the back of my mind, and I don't think that's true. Like it has a pretty standard movie three act structure. You know, it has highs and lows. You peak with the airplane, then everything goes wrong, and then you have a new action scene to fix it. I mean, maybe it had a bit of the Casino Royale thing of having slightly too many acts. But it definitely felt like it had peaks and troughs. I don't think it felt like it was Michael Bay all go all the time. Here's here's one thing that um, you know, Inception. Each action scene, I can tell you what that what the point of that was in the story, right? Right. Whereas this one, I'm like, they crashed an airplane. There was a bunch of trucks flipping. I don't quite remember why that was happening. Inception is very clear. You know, the truck. I mean, I yeah, it, watch it was all very obvious. And, they crashed the airplane to try and steal the art and investigate the what he was hiding. Then they flipped the trucks because they were trying to steal the what they thought was plutonium. And then they raided the base to try and get the algorithm. It was... You are incorrect, Matt. Well, I'm just saying it's a little, it's a little more... Um, it's a little wonkier than the Inception ones. Like, oh, the whole dream is taking place in the crashing truck. <laughs> I think what's, what's really 
interesting about this this one, kind of as you're saying with those scenes, is that each scene, each action scene happens so that we can see it again. And and there's there's no other movie like that where it's you you've seen it happen for this plot point. But the plot point was only an excuse for you to see it the first time so you can watch it the second with an alternate perspective on it. And it's similar when you, because uh, I just, as I was saying, I re-listened to your guys' in Inception move, uh, commentary. And with Inception, you were saying, if you don't view it as a dream, but instead a conversation on movie making, then Inception kind of makes more sense. And Tenet feels as well like a more removed version where you go this i think is part of the problem with the movie at the very beginning we have the exposition scientist character who's trying to explain to uh to the protagonist uh don't think about it just feel it right and that is such a fourth wall breaking uh thing where you know the nolans are basically don't say don't try and understand the movie just go with it like you're on a roller coaster and by the end you're going to leave and you're going to have an idea of what's happened but then later in the movie they keep trying to explain it so e- so so either tell us you know it's like bill and ted right bill and ted there's time travel but don't think about it too much just ride with it and you're going to have a good time or you need this to be foolproof. And Nolan can't quite decide which way he wants to go. But to its credit, after the, the second car chase, where we see the car chase again, but in reverse, I had to go to the, the, go to the toilet while I was in the cinema. And I stood up and my body, it was like I'd been on a treadmill. And my body, my body was expecting that everything was going to be going backwards for like five seconds. And it, di- it didn't happen when I rewatched it on the, on the TV, on the smaller screen. But in the cinema, I had about 10 seconds where I was like, oh, like, oh shit, is this rewiring my brain? And that was like an amazing 10 seconds that I don't think I've had in, in another movie. Um, so I'll give that to his credit as well, is that my, it weirded my brain out. Yeah, I guess he's mixing uh, Bill and Ted with Primer or something. As a cinematic, like, roller coaster maker, I think Nolan is currently, like, unmatched. Mm. Just the thrill ride he takes you on, I don't think anyone else is doing that right now. Like, Dunkirk, I felt like I'd been to war. Yeah, that, I that was, was why so I didn't unknown. I didn't want to see it. Everyone said, go and see it. And I said, I'm, like, I'm British I know this trauma, right? Like, I don't need to watch this film. But when I did see it, it was, yeah, I would never go and watch it again. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I watched it once. I'm happy to watch it again. That's what everyone says about Dunkirk, including myself. Yeah. We can talk about like, oh, it's based on the Sator Square or Nolan had this really cool high concept. But let's be real. He just ripped off an episode of Red Dwarf. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) Um, And that is one which I have watched the whole episode in reverse. (laughs) Who didn't watch it? Who didn't rip off an episode of Red Dwarf anyway? I know, right? Everyone in (laughs) sci-fi. If you watch the Red Dwarf backwards episode, there were some great gags if you watch the whole thing in reverse. There's a bit where he's yelling at um, Rimmer and Lister, and it's like, 
Now, I'm not yelling for your benefit. I'm yelling for the benefit of the nerd who's watching this in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. I don't think Nolan has any gags like that in there. Does he want you to watch this in reverse, though? Are you going to do it? I kind of do want to. The backwards cut? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if it comes out on Blu-ray, that's got to be in there, right? Duh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not qualified to answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that would. Maybe that would interfere with his pure art too much. <laughs> no, I was thinking it totally seems like something they do. <laughs> Although both times I've watched the film, I've immediately thought, "Oh, I need to go back and watch this scene and that scene to see if I can spot certain things in the background." And the one I really want to see is in the the airport. The first time we see it, I want to see if I can spot Neil sneaking cat in. Yeah, in the uh, and the, on the, the ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like they must be in the background of one of those shots, mm. but I never, I haven't bothered to go back and watch it. Yeah, I definitely. I, I thought it was interesting I've you saying got that you didn't. More like... hours on my rental, so I guess I can. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I felt like I definitely needed to watch this one a second time. Um, one probably because it was late night viewing, but because uh, I thought it's interesting. You're like, oh, I didn't like it upon repeat, repeated viewings. Was that just because of the pacing or because, yeah, like it seems like you'd be looking for those Easter eggs the second time around or the third time around? I think the, the biggest thing that I noticed the second time, and this is really embarrassing and I probably shouldn't admit it, was that the first time I watched it, I never noticed that they were putting their fingers together in the hand signal. Oh, it's a and hand mentioning and a word. It's not yes. Word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, man, they're doing that all the time in this but it's it's full it's full of code words um and i also like there's a couple times where he does it to people who don't respond yeah right yeah, so, so he, he's trying it with again. everyone yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and i did yeah, the, the first time i didn't i didn't click onto that at all so i think there are definitely those little things but the first time i watched it i i came out after almost falling over and i thought <laughs> everyone has said that this movie is really complicated and that the plot is really difficult to understand and i came away from it thinking i that i didn't find that true at all i i had the exact same experience it was one of those films i had this with this and inception and basically every nolan film um where the the discourse was like whoa what a mind fuck you're gonna have to watch it five times to even barely understand it and i'm just like nope that was a real standard blockbuster movie i understood everything that happened yeah, I mean, the the plot itself, uh, excluding the temporal mechanics, is basically like, you know, like the international or something, you know? That and kind even, of your pot boiler thriller. Even the temporal stuff is real simple because it, it's not like... Stuff can either go forwards or backwards. The time travel's real simple in this. <laughs> like, it, there's no relativity. Like, Interstellar's a lot more complicated in how it treats time. I think the best example of that for me was during the first time that they uh, they break into the airport and the two mm. versions of the same person run out, one forward and one backwards. Later on, we find out it's the protagonist. In, that mo- in the moment that Robin Patterson saw the face off screen, mm. I knew that that was the protagonist. Because... I knew it was the protagonist, but... I, it hadn't, I hadn't figured out that they were both the protagonists. Right. I right, thought exactly. one was the protagonist and one was, yeah. one was Neil. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't but, understand quite how it worked yet. Yeah, but it's, it's that, it, that's kind of the point, the same thing of, well, if I can follow movie structure, 
then I know yeah. that I know who that character has to be. So the movie isn't actually as complicated as as it's trying to be. And I think that the one bit where it did lose me was while I was out to the toilet. They did the whole exposition scene about what they were trying to do, and right, what is, they're trying to prevent. Yeah, and it's the algorithm thing where it's like, okay, we've got these, we've got this bunch of boxes, and each box contains a, a different part of an algorithm from the future. That when you combine them, it forms some kind of doomsday weapon. So they've hidden them in different nuclear silos. Or and this is a conversation that takes place in a shipping container. In in two minutes, and I you know I came back from having a piss and was like, so what is the what 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 is the plot of the end of this film? What is but three? I mean, they have you to don't, do the all thing. you need to know is it's a MacGuffin. Yes, the bandits yeah, can't yeah. get the MacGuffin. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's the... called his hero protagonist. They might as well have called the MacGuffin MacGuffin. I guess the algorithm. That's the thing about is, roller. Yeah. Co- that's yeah. the thing about roller coaster ride, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know the theming, that's great. But you don't have to know the theming to ride the roller coaster. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, so our my, mine and Rob's colleague, mine and Matt's colleague Rob, had issues with the pacing and thinking that the breathless delivery was hard to follow. My dad is a physicist. <laughs> he had big problems with this film. No, my dad would hate this movie because he'd be like, they're mumbling the whole time. <laughs> Again, I didn't actually find that to be as bad as everyone was making it out, even on my second viewing on my TV. Um, but, you know, I'm a young 20... Oh, no, I'm not 20-something, am I? 30. <laughs> I'm a young 30-year-old with great hearing, so... <laughs> that's his... Uh, that's, for my dad, that's his biggest problem with uh, Star Trek Discovery. He's like, everyone whispers on that show. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, that's why my dad doesn't listen to Post Malone. <laughs> exactly uh, yeah yeah i guess uh, there is the whole you know mumblecore has kind of uh gotten down to our movies as well a lot or or maybe that's the old fart thing to say everyone's mumbling in the movies these days they don't they don't talk like the uh the flappers way back in the day anymore well it's, everyone was trying to go for like very real human dialogue and they've just gone too far to the point where it's like um our company there used to be one other british guy and if me and him were left alone, no one else could follow our conversations because they weren't words anymore. It's like, I had yet- the I had the opposite problem with the film to begin with, where with the sound design at the beginning of the film was so excruciatingly loud. Um, especially during the interrogation scene where the protagonist having his, his teeth ripped out and like, mm. the trains are going by and then he's on the boat going to, to the windmill, like uh, the, the crossover safe house within, within the windmill. And um, the sound design was just deafening. It was so loud. And maybe it was just, the, I was going to say, maybe it was the cinema messing it up. But everyone has complained about the sound design with this film. But maybe they turned it up because other people had complained they couldn't hear what people were saying during, <laughs> during the thing. But again, when I, did, when I watched it with subtitles, I didn't think the mumbling was a problem. But when I rewatched it with subtitles turned on, there was stuff that I had missed before that made things, even just the, the reusing of the word tenet that mm. I was like, oh, I, you know, I didn't pick up on that the first time. Um, but I didn't think that it kind of took away from the film in the way that other people seem to have done. But yeah, that was just uh, 
just me going, oh my, I thought within the first five minutes, am I going to have to leave the screening? Because it, my <laughs> ears hurt. Well, I, I watched on headphones uh, this week and I sort of had the same thing. Why, why is it so loud? And then, then they'd be talking again and it's back to normal. So uh, definitely, yeah, the dynamics are just kind of crazy. If, mm-hmm. uh, if you took the sound file of this, it would be pretty absurd looking. Well, I guess while we're on sound, we should talk about the soundtrack. I mean, Zimmer Bois tries back, to do something. <laughs> well, he tries to do something interesting because a lot of the sound feels like it's being played backwards. Or there'll be mm. moments where you'll have um, like a long chord and then it goes back again the other way. But, I mean, this isn't Interstellar or Inception in terms of innovation. Is it even Zimmer for this one? Actually, I don't think it was. I think I remember getting to the end and being like, oh, that's why it didn't blow my mind. It's not Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I, I don't know who it is, but I feel like it's somebody trying to do it exactly, exactly as you were saying, Matt, where they're trying to do the, Z- the Zimmer, Nolan, blah, sound, but they've, uh, they're, they're just taking influence. Like Nolan said, you know what Hans Zimmer does? Yeah, just kind of, kind of do that again. Because it, in Inception, he already... Inception is already the music played backwards, right? Like, we've, we've already No, it's the music that. played super slow. Right, right. So it's, you know, if we're messing around with the, with the timing of, of something, it's like, uh, how many different things can you do with the music and still have that, um, you know, that same yeah. originality? Okay. Ludwig Göransson yes. did the music. Creed, Creed, Creed Two, Venom, Black Panther, but not the part that you remember. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. And Creed and Creed Two. I bet that's just him trying to copy Rocky music. <laughs> he got a Grammy yeah, get, for the Black Panther. Oh, he, uh, he the, actually the Black Panther soundtrack has the awesome drum. Which yeah, I, Black I, Panther does yeah. have good. It's not just the songs that are good. The actual no. yeah, but yeah. music but yeah, is very good. Yeah, it's just it's the just songs awesome the part you remember. Yeah, look, <laughs> no, because what I remember is like the um, the the like African singing, like when Killmonger dies and stuff. Oh, he produced "This Is America" as well. That's kind of fun. Okay. All right. Yeah, sorry, he had a couple credits with Childish Gambino. I guess that's why I was saying with the actors, though. It seems Nolan uh, just doesn't have his normal crew. Like, even in behind the scenes, he doesn't have his normal crew here. Not now he's yeah, well, yeah, Nolan, cinematographers or something. Nolan's a package deal, right? It's like he's gone if solo. If you don't hire Nolan, you hire Nolan with his with his team. He's got his music guy. He's got his actors that he likes to work with. I think Wait, his no- brother often helps him write the films. Yeah, yeah. So this is Nolan without half of his squad. So maybe that's why it doesn't quite pop. Yeah, yeah Jonathan right. Nolan isn't even a writer on this one either. So, right. Yeah. And I'm looking, cinematographer, someone that I don't believe has worked with him before, though he's done James Bond. Uh, the editor, yeah, does, does not worked with him uh, before. So, th- so this really is just like the Freddie Mercury solo album of Christopher <laughs> Nolan's career. Yeah, I guess that, so maybe that's where I'm a little like let down. I'm like, get the band back together. I guess the action scene's a great pretender. <laughs> but you know what what he does do he returns to uh, to the relative comfort of starting your movie with a, a a fake mission that's actually a test to see if you can do the real mission and that is one of his favorite things to do and is uh the, the opening of inception with uh ken watanabe yeah, as well yeah. i'm trying to think which other ones it was yeah yeah and with this one as well it's like uh 
Yeah, what you think you're doing the real heist, but this isn't the real heist. It's the test to see if you could. And then in this one, it's uh, yeah, to see if we're going to rip your teeth out and see. <laughs> and if you, Although, if you try and kill that yourself, that turns out that he also is the mastermind who put himself through that <laughs> to see if he can do it. Yeah, well, well, I guess if we've got one other thing to discuss in this film, it's like this film is very deterministic. Mm-hmm. In this film, free will just basically doesn't exist. Yeah, there's only like, one bit where where the, I think the protagonist says that to Robert Patterson's character. What about free will? And Robert Patterson says something like... No, it's like, to the scientist at the start. And she's, oh, is it? Um, she shows oh, him, whichever, yes. whichever way you play the video, you're the one who made the bullet move. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's kind of bullshit though, isn't it? Yep. Patterson's <laughs> line at the end is good, where it's like... Yeah, maybe it does mean there's no free will. It doesn't mean that's an excuse not to do anything, which I think is a nice a nice view on it. But yeah, this is uh, Sarah Connor would not like this film. <laughs> but Terminator Three would love this film. I've done it when we started. <laughs> <laughs> you mean what? You mean Dark Fate, the third Terminator film? <laughs> So maybe maybe it's because it's the morning and I'm I'm grumpy and slightly like I said this is for me the most underwhelming one I guess for me since insomnia again I don't hate insomnia but I don't put on insomnia so but yeah it seems like we are talking smack about this one for the most part <laughs> well we usually end by asking the question does this film hold up this film's not even like six months old for most of us so we can't ask that question what we can ask is. Was this film worth it? Like the fight over getting this film into theatres, getting it out, probably put human lives at risk by insisting this film went into theatres. I mean, it doesn't have as much blood on its hands as uh, Demon Slayer does here in Japan. But, <laughs> well, like, as a, I, I do overall like this film. This is a fun film. I'll probably watch it again sometime. Compared to most of Nolan's work, this is not high on my list. I guess like, it was worth the effort more than Wonder Woman 1984, yeah? Well, I haven't <laughs> even bothered to watch that yet. <laughs> That's a, a new superhero film in the theatres and I couldn't be asked to go and see it, is how bad their response was to that. I think part of the problem with this movie in comparison to to Inception and the others is kind of what we've we said before is there's no joy in this film other than the the joy in this movie comes from being like, wow, they actually did crash that plane. Mm-hmm. And and the bit where Robert Patterson says, don't be so dramatic. Okay, a little bit dramatic. And like, he's like, oh, that's, that's some good delivery of those lines. And that's kind of the joy within the film. Um, there's no, it doesn't, there's no feel good moment. There's no... Uh, you come away from it being impressed, but do you come away from it being satisfied, ultimately? Like, in the cinema, I did. But viewing it at home, I was like, well, that's over, so what shall I do now? Um... Partly, I feel like it's supposed to end in a slightly dissatisfying way 
because you're meant to be like, oh, this isn't the end. I'm only just mm-hmm. starting. Mm-hmm. It almost, it almost, because the climax happens simultaneous with the opening of the film. Yeah, but you know how like Batman Begins, for example, ends, and it's like now Batman has begun, and it's but like, yeah, it still cool. it still feels like a cool ending, whereas this yeah. feels like. Oh, I guess this guy's got loads of administration to do now. <laughs> this one, this one needs a sequel. They'll just uh, spell the word backwards for the sequel. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the most down on it. it. Like I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna say I'll rewatch it, but there's there's so many other things that I probably will get around to watching before I rewatch this one again. I mean, I will almost certainly watch Prestige and Interstellar again before I watch this again. Like any, yeah. if you ask me my top three favorite films, one of those two will always be in the list. I don't think Tenet's ever gonna rise to those ranks. No, we don't put on the prestige so much. My wife doesn't like it because it uh, wastes too many Hugh Summers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, also, it's the like one that. film where there's a hundred Hugh Jackmans in it, so you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I said. He's like, yeah, but he—they're he, just wasting him. <laughs> All that wasted hue. They could have shipped one <laughs> over to us. <laughs> yeah, to they go did, on, and the Wolverine. To go on uh, what Luke was saying about having to risk your life to go and see a movie, I would rather have risked my life to have seen Dune, and now after seeing the trailer, I would rather have risked my life to go and see King Kong vs. Godzilla. Because <laughs> I'm, te- I'm tempted to go to Tokyo to see King Kong vs. Godzilla, even though I know that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the Dune trailer. I I finished reading the book finally, but uh, haven't haven't oh. actually looked at any of the uh, materials for the new one. And I have, I guess I don't watch trailers anymore. I haven't watched King Kong vs Godzilla yet. Now now I'm turning I, I new will Luke. I, want, I just want to wait. The first trailer, but uh, yeah, I avoid watching most trailers now. But yeah, Dune was the first book that I sat in the corner of the playground and read instead of playing with my friends. So <laughs> I'm very excited to see them have another crack at that. Although there's always something to be, there's something to be said for the David Lynch version. I'm not sure if it's good or not, but uh, it's a little both, to be honest. But <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen that one in a long time. I've seen the TV miniseries. <laughs> I need to watch the David Lynch one for I guess for this podcast. Yeah, it's, it's coming up before too long. There's already a few people on the horizon, possibly for that. So, um, is Tenet going to be a more or less forgotten film? I think. I'm it- not- I feel like As Dunkirk a conversation, already kind it's going to be remembered. It's going to mm. be remembered because of its role in 2020. Mm. <laughs> but I think... Sorry. I think as a discussion, people are not going to be talking about the film. Yeah. They're going to be talking about everything around it, and the film itself is going to be kind of forgotten. That would be my guess. Dunkirk, we've already pretty much uh, stopped. No one talks about Dunkirk, basically, because they only watched it once. I bet, yeah. I bet for the next 50 years, though, kids in the UK are going to watch it in school. Yeah. Yeah. Dunkirk's going to be a thing, but it's like, in a similar way to Schindler's List, you don't sit and watch it for fun, but the film is going to be there and there's going to be an audience who needs to watch it, right? Because I think Dunkirk does do a good job of being like, hey, none of these boys we sent to war are having a good time. Like, let's stop doing that. I'm an old fart. It was glory when I was in school. <clears throat> well, also because um, I'm American. One of our colleagues at work did a speech about how she watched Platoon when she was a kid and it had a profound effect on her. And she tried to show it to her son, but he so desensitized it didn't do anything. <laughs> so I recommend that she tried showing him Dunkirk, because I said it made me feel uncomfortable in that way. 
I just heard that on, a, on another podcast, him saying, oh, yeah, my mom took me a platoon as a kid, so I'd learn about the horrors of war. And then I saw Fatal Attraction. It's like, what? what is that going to teach you at age 10? <laughs> don't, don't, don't get with strange women when your wife goes on vacation. <laughs> I've definitely brought up this anecdote before, but my one major memory of Dunkirk is in the UK it released day and date the same time as Splatoon 2. <laughs> and I just love the juxtaposition of the two most different depictions of war you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like with uh, in I know that in in history classes in the UK they are already watching Dunkirk because my stepdad is a history teacher and he is already okay. showing Dunkirk, so that's already there. And I think Tenet was trying to do the same thing that The Matrix did, where The Matrix ended up being in all of our religion and philosophy classes. And then it's like, and now we're going to watch The Matrix. And then Inception was kind of the next Matrix in that style of this is the movie that's going to blow your mind. And then the, the, the next blockbuster that's going to blow your mind. And then Tenet was supposed to be the next step up from that. But, I mean, who, who Again, is it a trying to impress? A director yeah. only gets one of those films. Nothing in Tenet, <laughs> nothing in Tenet confused or surprised or bamboozled me at all. It just made no. sense. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting idea. I do think it's a cool mm. sci-fi concept done well. Yeah. But yeah. that's all it is. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. This is the Freddie Mercury solo album. Yeah. <laughs> for me, that's the perfect description for Tenet. It's got a couple groovy songs on it, right? Yeah. But, but the one thing, it's... Up until this film, I was always like, whatever Nolan did next, I was so psyched. And this... I'm still going to watch whatever Nolan does next, and I'm probably going to like it. But it's no longer in my head like, oh, this guy only makes the best films. I've seen that he can slip up a little. And it's really interesting because who do you who do you put the blame on for that? Is it on Christopher Nolan? Because John David uh, John David Washington does a fine performance with what he's given. Robert Patterson's great, one of his you know best block. Buster-esque performances. As we said, Kenneth Branagh's great. So is it on Christopher Nolan that this isn't as great as the rest of his movies are? Like, where does it fall through? Yeah, I think it's shaken up the staff. Mm. Yeah, maybe with, with a part, if the script had had a Passover from his brother, if the music had been a bit more interesting, if it had been edited a bit more tightly, if he'd yeah. thrown in a few more fun, like, bit parts, it could have yeah. all been very different. Yeah, I wonder if it's, as your colleague was saying earlier, it's the George Lucas effect of all of the people who would say no to him are, you know, making Westworld or, you know, are, are gone. So, like, yeah, like, there's nobody to say, actually, maybe you, you know, maybe you should have some fun characters, Christopher. Well, it, I might, it might just be that all of the people who would usually say no to him were dealing with a plague. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know, how how late into production is a film's, like, final edit done? Well, post wouldn't matter so much, but, uh... No, but I mean... Hell, they'd be stuck in the house to like, do it. Like, think of, think of Star Wars, right? Like, the... From everything I've heard, that film was a piece of shit until it was edited. Yeah, the original, yeah, yeah. So may, maybe, like, the guys who would usually have sat down, made a soundtrack, 
edited this film, made it look super duper, were for whatever reason unavailable in 2020. And it just didn't quite didn't quite come out fitting right. I wonder if that also gets played into because I think the the actual uh, well they say the principal photography mostly took place in 2019 pre-COVID, mm. but then you get to that edit. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, we need to do some reshoots. Okay, where do we need to do reshoots? Well, we need to reshoot in Denmark, uh, India. There's a whole thing in Estonia, uh, Italy, Vietnam. Uh, can we reshoot in any of these places at the beginning of 2020? Uh... That's true. Uh, film, films involve a lot of reshooting, don't they? And I bet none of that could happen. Mm. I'm going to be lame. I'm going to be uh, and say this straight from uh, Wikipedia with Jennifer Lame replaced Nolan's longtime editor, Lee Smith, who was occupied with 2019's 1917. Lame was tasked with unsupervised editing during the principal photography and would look at dailies. So that explains it a bit. Yeah. (laughs) But it seems like they were basically finished with this. We suddenly had a scene in the middle where it's just like Washington and Rob Pattinson clearly in different rooms on a green screen. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to modern TV shows. Yep. <laughs> but, suddenly uh, there's a whole exposition section where they're just talking to each other over FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> and the beard is even more spectacular. <laughs> no, now on NCIS and stuff, they got everyone's running around in masks, right? So for the TV show, I haven't, I haven't watched network TV in fucking ages. Apart, I just from saw Star this on Trek. a CNN page. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I also don't look at the news or social media. <laughs> oh, you're better off for it. Yeah, that's that's been my thing this year. I've just quit all of it. Mm. All I've got is Instagram, and I just post. I don't scroll. Any any final points you want to throw out on this film? Sight. Okay, that's. I guess that's the basic feeling. It's all right. Yeah. But yeah. It can't was, really take it further. It was great in the cinema. Like it was great in the cinema. However, yeah. it was great in the cinema at a time where only three people could go into a single screening, and then it lost money. Yeah. So, um, ultimately, you know, was it was it worth the twenty pounds or twenty dollars to buy it at home? No. Was it worth the $20 to go and see it in the cinema? Yes. But we're not necessarily going to have that opportunity again. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts it out on like a second release Mm -hmm. a year or two down the line. Or the the studio even think like, can we recoup some of our costs now by sticking it out again? Yeah. Probably not a bad call if theaters are running a bit more normally. (laughs) Because I, again, I missed in the theater for these reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, like, if this film wasn't a Christopher Nolan film, if we were going to see this and it was some director we'd never heard of, our whole conversation would have been completely different. Mm. You're, I'm naturally comparing it to, like, Interstellar, Inception, Prestige, the Batman trilogy, like, some of the best blockbuster movies of recent times, and it's just not quite up there. But if I compare it to, you know, the latest DC movie, whatever Tom Cruise has just done and whatever... It's pretty, it's damn good. Uh, Tenet was easier to follow the Mission Impossible Fallout. 
I watched Mission Impossible Fallout the night before. I saw, I had seen Tenet before, granted. But I was watching Mission Impossible Fallout. Like, what the hell is going on here? And Tenet <laughs> made more sense, and it was supposed to be the confusing one. So, yeah. Mission I... Impossible Fallout fell into my pumpkin soup last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the Blu-ray box. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I assumed as much. I assume you didn't have actual nuclear fallout fall into your suit. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a bad call. Were you trying to drop it like the Inception truck? No, I have this um, He dangles all of his Mission Impossible films from the ceiling like Tom Cruise in the first one. Oh. Like the Sword of Damocles, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just all my the DVD cases made a little spill and that came down with it, so. <laughs> um, I don't know, shall, shall we plug? People want to plug? Well, uh, you got a don't, podcast. You got a podcast. Everyone's got yeah, podcasts. Okay, uh, I write comics and comic books so my comics can be found at uh, dominicarchercomics.com and on instagram i'm at dominicarchercomics i also teach comic classes so if anybody wants to come and learn how to to make comics and stuff then uh, send me a message uh i do a podcast called daddy issues which is about father and son relationships in popular culture um and how messed up we all are um we've got a bunch of different topics our most recent one is god we have been going through uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion and uh, how much it makes us cry. So that's that's been good fun. Uh, I'm currently doing a rewatch of that show, and I'm going to listen when I get done with my rewatch. Yes, yeah, definitely do. We've the we've the last ones we've got to record are episodes twenty one to twenty six, and then maybe we'll get onto the movies eventually. Um, but yeah, that's been that's been really great. So yeah, we are on YouTube uh, at Daddy Issues or Awful Commentary is the channel name. Are you available to download as a pure audio podcast? Not at the moment, because I've been shipbroke thanks to the pandemic. So Do we you will... want to get added to our account, because we can add as many podcasts as we want? Yes. <laughs> Please cut that out, Matt, but yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can just... Yeah, I think um, the way Transistor works, it, do... it charges you based on your downloads, not your uploads. Oh, interesting. So as long as none of us get big... It's not going to change my feet. You're going to be in real trouble when people are into father and son relationships and popular culture. But until then... Well, i got to throw out the... um, Just if we can get the spit take. Worst sci-fi father. Oh. Oh, that's a good question. Worst sci-fi father. I mean, Darth Vader did cut Luke's hand off. (laughs) <laughs> it's not great I was going to go, I was gonna go with, life at the end though yeah, my, my choice is Worf because he forgot his kid existed for five years <laughs> yeah but we were all glad for that you know I, <laughs> yeah that too it might have to be Gendo Akari from Neon Genesis Evangelion whereby he is, he is constant shit. he's constantly willing to drop a nuclear bomb on top of his own son <laughs> Uh, and as for us, Luke, do your thing. Right, yep. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. If you've enjoyed this podcast and the other podcasts we produce, you can find us at Patreon.com slash Podcastio Podcastius. Please get in touch. Throw us a dollar a month if you want to help us keep it online, because, you know, I literally am put out of pocket by doing this every month, so... <laughs> If you think I'm getting rich off these podcasts, you are incorrect. <laughs> and if you've enjoyed the music you found during this podcast, you can find more of Matt's music at rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com.
And now it's time for you to uh, stop this podcast, uh, flip it around, and listen to the whole thing backwards. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to do as my outro, Matt, so that's fine. Oh, I just stole your thunder that's crap. Cool. That's fine. <laughs> Worship Satan. Worship Satan. I, I was hoping for it backwards, but nah, okay, I'm flipping it backwards. There we go. <laughs> Next week, a clockwork orange.